0: Good evening, I'm Pastor Jody, and I'm going to introduce to you our speaker, our preacher this evening, his name is Mike Tiberi, did I get that right, Tiberi? I used to say Tiberi, you probably get that a lot, Tiberi. Mike and his wife, Emily, and there's three or four children, three children, Eve, Matthias, Michael. And, and Thaddeus. I mixed Mathi- Ma- Michael and Thaddeus, became Matthias. Mike is a pastor, was a pastor for eight years up in Chicago, and the Lord has led him here for a time of waiting to see what is next for him in ministry. And in the meantime, we have the benefit of their love and support and encouragement. And Mike is already uh, leading our, our kids' committee, preparing for the new programs, Lord willing to launch next fall. So he's already got himself in and doing good work here and serving us faithfully. Very excited to see what the Lord brings about through that. But I'm very, Mike has been coming to conferences over the years, receiving encouragement and good counsel in some hard situations from Pastor Tim and Pastor Max and others over the years. And uh, the Lord has just bonded us together. And that's why he led them here as, as they look for what's next for them in ministry. So in the meantime, we have the benefit of his gifts. And so, Mike, why don't you come and preach to us this evening? And let's open our hearts to him.
1: Good evening. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Pastor Jody, for asking me to preach. It's an honor to open God's Word with you. Would you open your Bibles to Psalm 100? said to Pastor Baker before the service, I am not very original. Psalm 100, the well-known Thanksgiving psalm. Um, we use a tune that was used in the Psalter for this all the, every Sunday. Old Hundredth, which is what the doxology that we sing, that tune, is what Psalm 100 in the English psalter is put to, that tune. And so this is Psalm 100. Well, as, we, as I was considering what text to preach, this one stood out for one of those reasons, and the other being the superscript of the psalm. It's a psalm for thanksgiving. Now, we don't know how Israel used this psalm. We don't know uh, all the ins and outs of the way the psalter was used in, in, during the Old Covenant, but likely this was used for services of thanksgiving. And within the Old Covenant and in the, in the law, the forms of, of feasts that they had to celebrate and to give thanks to God, they had the Feast of Weeks, the time of the harvest when they would come to pilgrimage to Jerusalem and to worship God. And this is probably one of the Psalms that they used to give thanks. And there's actually a rich Christian tradition as well to call services of thanksgiving. As you may know, the Puritans didn't um, like to celebrate holidays, right? They didn't didn't celebrate Christmas. They didn't celebrate Easter. But you know what they did celebrate? They would allow for celebrations for the church to call forth meetings, special services for Thanksgiving, or for lament, for griefing, for, for tragedies. And this is actually the background to our holiday in this country. It was Puritan pilgrims, who celebrated the first Thanksgiving. And that's why we do this. And that's why it's fitting for the church to call together a time of Thanksgiving to worship God. It's not a pagan holiday. This is a Christian holiday. It is a Christian time to gather and to give thanks to God. And so Psalm 100 was used for this very purpose and it's very fitting that we would use it tonight. Now, we're about to read Psalm 100. One thing I do want to point out to you is that this is a poem. It's a hymn. It is masterfully crafted, as Scripture is. It's 12 lines of poetry. And we can divide that up into two sections. Six lines to be the first part, and six more lines at the second part. And each of those six lines can be divided into threes. So in the first section, we have... Three lines calling us to worship. And then we have three lines telling us why. Then we have three more lines calling us again to worship, particularly to Thanksgiving, followed by three more lines of why. So you can see the pattern here as we read it. Pay attention to that. See the poetry here. See the parallelism, how this is masterfully put together. Let us read God's word. It is eternally true. A psalm for thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the first three, the the first three verses of this psalm make up our first six lines. And here we are called to give thanks to God because we are his people. We are called to worship. We are invited to, or maybe uh, more strongly we can put it, commanded to come to God and to offer him praise. The, the first verse says, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Notice who is called to worship here. Everyone. All the earth. All the peoples. All the tribes and tongues and nations. Not just in Bloomington, Indiana, but in Africa and in Europe and in Asia and in South America and anywhere else where people dwell, we are called to worship God. All the earth is invited to worship. But notice that we aren't just invited to worship any old thing, we are invited to worship, commanded to worship the Lord. Now, this is an important thing to take note of when you're reading in your Old Testament. You probably know this, but in case you don't, you should always pay attention to the word Lord and whether it is all capitalized, L-O-R-D, or if it's just the first letter L capitalized and the lowercase O-R-D. When it's just capital L and then lowercase the rest, that is a word meaning that king or sovereign, the Lord, the, the one who's ruling. When it's all capitals, this is God's covenant name. This is the the name that he revealed to Moses that he was the God who made a covenant with Abraham who was responding to that covenant to bring his people out of Egypt. This is the God in covenant with Israel. But again, who's invited to worship here? Was it only the Jews? No. And in fact, this is found in a whole series of psalms that are calling the nations to come and worship God. And it's not calling the nations to come and just worship, you know, God. The idea of God. This general perception of the unmoved mover or some uh, general agreed-upon understanding of the one who must be out there. We're not deists, right? We don't just believe there's a God who is there and of course everything had to come from something, but I don't think I can know him. We're not deists, we're not agnostics. This is calling for all the peoples to come and worship the Lord as the covenant-keeping God, as the one who we can come into covenant through his Son, Jesus, with. It's not God generally. You know, there is a certain Republican candidate right now who uses much language that sounds very Christian, but he's actually speaking of a different God. And this isn't saying the Muslim God, that we can, they can worship their God and, and the Hindu can worship his God and, the, and, the, and we can all worship God together. No. No. The Lord is sovereign over all the earth. And we are called, commanded, to come and worship this one true and only God. and we're not just told to come and you know go through the motions do the things that are necessary you know kneel on sunday and raise our hands in worship and do the do the thing what's the what are we told shout joyfully shout joyfully This is an interesting word. It's actually a word used in the Old Testament as a war cry. It's a word used to, to, uh, to scream out in victory after, the, after, after victory in battle. It's the word used after they rebuilt the temple in Ezra and the people shouted with joy because the temple had been rebuilt. We're talking about exuberance. I'm not sure how many of you are, are sports fans here. I'm a diehard White Sox fan. I love, I like baseball, and I love the South Siders in Chicago. I grew up going to games with my dad, and it's been a very special place to me. And when do we go to a game, and someone hits a home run from the White Sox? I'm a, mostly a pretty reserved, quiet man, but not at a White Sox game when a home run is hit out of the park, or one of my players make a great makes a great play. I cheer. I shout. Maybe some of you are like that. Maybe some of you don't care about sports, but you know what I'm talking about. In our society, it's acceptable to lose your dignity at a sporting event, right? But maybe not in church. Except we are commanded in Scripture to shout joyfully to the Lord. And it's fitting to do so. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. We're to serve him, this is a word used in scripture over and over again to as another way of speaking of worship. The word serve, it was used of the priests in the tabernacle that they were to serve the Lord, and it's particularly in a religious context is meant to have to do with worship to come and to worship the Lord. But it maybe doesn't feel too comfortable, right? We don't like to want to be a servant, but He is the Lord. And we are his people. He is the sovereign, and we are his servants. And worship is to be viewed as us coming to the most holy, awesome, mighty God and being amazed that we can come and worship him. And so it's a service. And we come to him, and we serve him, and we shout joyfully to him. And we are told to do that with gladness in our hearts. Come before him, it says, with joyful singing. This phrase, come before, it's like quite literally, enter before his face. Come into his presence. Now, if we don't have a, a, a right view of God and his holiness, that doesn't seem that significant, does it? But what do we see in Scripture when someone sees truly sees the face of God, as it were? Isaiah in the temple. What does he do? Falls on his face and says, Woe is me. Woe is me for I am a sinful man and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I am unclean. This is our approach to God. We are to come before him. But here's the amazing thing. Even though that's true, he is holy and we aren't, and there's a large gap between who he is and who we are, yet we are invited and commanded to come before his presence with joyful singing. You know, one thing that stood out to me in these first few verses is we're not just commanded to do something, but we're commanded to feel something. We're told that we are to feel joyful to be glad when we worship the Lord. How can God command us to feel something? You're like, you're like I, do I have control of my emotions? I mean, that's what we teach our children, right? you got to have control of your emotions. What are emotions? They're there to be a signpost of what is in your heart. And if we can't find reason to joyfully worship God as his people, then we are sure of all he, who he is and what he has done. Because that's what we're shown next is why? Why should we be so joyful? Why should we so exuberantly come before his presence and worship him? It's because he is God and we are his people. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is God. Right worship requires knowledge of God. Right? And what do we need to know about God? Well, one is he alone is God. We're not God. There are no other gods beside him. He himself, he alone, he with no other beside him, he is God. He alone. Okay? Know that. That's a good thing to know. What's even more profound is that we are are his. That we are his people. That he made us. Now when he says here, he made us, our first thought is probably to think of, he knit us in our mother's womb. He created us, and that's very true. But there's actually something bigger going on here. He's actually speaking of him creating us and electing us and making us his people. The next line clarifies, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. This is actually a biblical way of speaking. And Psalm Isaiah 43, it says this, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Creation language. Having to do with us being made his people. Calvin help was helpful here on this He says, it must be remembered that the prophet is not here speaking of creation in general, as I have formerly said, but of that spiritual regeneration by which he creates anew his image and his elect. He made you, his church. He made you. He took you from darkness and brought you into his light. He transferred you from that kingdom of Satan and made you his people. He took you from being a rebel to being a worshiper of him. From being a God-hater by your actions, by your thoughts, by your words, by your everything, to being a joyful, exuberant worshiper of God. That's a major change. And he did it. So, how can we not come joyfully and worship Him? Now, maybe you, you've had a difficult year. I have. <laughs> My whole life was upheaved this year. We moved to a whole new state and a whole new job, and everything is new. Things are diff- can be very difficult in this life, right? But there's still a reason to joyfully worship the Lord. No matter how dark it gets in our lives, his mercies truly are new every morning. His kindness knows no bounds. And the fact that he has made us his people is all the reason to worship him. And not only that, it says we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So not only has he made us and made us his own, that we belong to him, that he's made us something new, But he's our shepherd, which means he takes care of us. That means that he leads us through. That means that he never loses one of his own, as Jesus taught us. And that if we are in his fold, if he has made us his, we know that he will provide for us, that he will take care of us. And how many times has he proven himself to do that? And so, We worship him. Second part. Now we're told to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This obviously draws on the image of the temple. And at the temple, the the common worshiper couldn't go into the temple, right? Right? They could only go into the outer courts and bring their sacrifices. And one of the type of sacrifices you would bring in the Old Covenant is a sacrifice of thanksgiving or first fruits of the harvest. And bring them to the Lord as a way of giving thanks. And here, the worshiper is invited in to the very courts of God to give him thanks. Now, in the New Covenant, we have something greater. We don't have to make a pilgrimage to the other side of the world, to Jerusalem, to a temple mount, and make a pilgrimage to get closer to God. No. We have the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the living God. The church is the temple of the living God. And so when we gather as his people, as Jesus said, the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. This is what God desires. And because of the work of Jesus, we have all of the true spiritual things that Israel have and much greater because here we are in Bloomington, Indiana, not in Jerusalem, not at a temple mount, but right here in this little building. And we are God's temple. And here you can enter into his courts with thanksgiving. You can come before God and you can offer your thanks to him and you are near. To him, Not because of this building, but because we are his temple. Because the church is where God is present. And when we gather together, we know that he is with us. And when we sing, we're not singing to a wall. We're not singing to Pastor Moyer. We're not singing, no, we're worshiping God. And we're doing it together. We're, we're encouraging one another to praise him and thank him. And again, the amazing thing is that we, me, I, have been invited to the courts of God. God. And so what can you do? What are we told to do when we enter his courts? We are told to enter his courts with thanksgiving and with praise. Both of these have to do with using your words, of saying what you are thankful for of lifting up praise to God and telling Him why you are thankful. Notice that in the first section, we were told how we were supposed to come to worship, joyfully, with gladness. Now in the second part, we are told what we are to be doing, what we are to be expressing. And what we are told to express is thankfulness. It's praise. It says, Give thanks to Him, Bless his name. When the scriptures refers to God's name, it's saying, make known his reputation, make known who he is, make known what he's done. And so that's what we're commanded to do. And we have every good reason to do so. Because not only has he made us his people, not only does is he the, our shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture, but as it says here in verse. 5 for the Lord is good his lovingkindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations you have reason to give thanks tonight and tomorrow and on sunday and every morning that his mercies are new because he is good he is good there's really not much more you have to say beyond that right Because if you have walked with God, what do you know? He is. He's what? He's good. He's good. He's good. He's given you everything that you need. He's given you Christ. He's given you the blood of the eternal covenant by which you may draw near. The only reason we can come into his presence and worship is Because of the blood of Jesus. Because his loving kindness is everlasting. This word loving kindness has to do with God's faithfulness to his covenant. That he is faithful, we are not. He is faithful. He never breaks covenant. He has sealed a covenant with us by the blood of his own son that cannot be broken. And so this is why the author of Hebrews tells us that we may come into his presence boldly before the throne of grace, that we may enter not only into the courts, but into the most holy place through the flesh of Jesus Christ. He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness is for generations. It's to all generations. He doesn't give up because There was a bad generation who didn't worship him well, right? If that was the case, then we would have never got Jesus because he would have destroyed all the Israelites who had many faithless generations, right? But God is faithful from generation to generation. He is good. His loving kindness knows no bounds. It's everlasting, which means you can count on it, not just for today, but for tomorrow and for the next day, and not only for you, but also for your children. If they have faith in Jesus Christ and worship according to the same terms of the same covenant, which is through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And so what what we need to walk away with is very simple, right? Loosen your lips to give thanks to God. We're about to have a time where we can come up with microphones, I understand, and and. Give public testimony, public thanksgiving for what God has done in your, for, for you. May this psalm be an encouragement, an exhortation to you to do that very thing, to loosen your lips and to, to shout. Not You don't have to shout into the microphone, but you know what I mean. To make it clear in the congregation of his people how good he is how faithful he is. Much more could be said from this psalm. but That's all that I think needs to be said, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to see all the ways that you have been so good to us. Give us joyful hearts now as we give thanks to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen.